press so hard on the remote just because the batteries are weak. We think that's going to make a difference. And here, here's one. And this is for your conversations over coffee in the foyer. Why do we talk louder when we're talking to someone who speaks a different language than us? Do we think by being louder, they're all of a sudden going to understand? These are the questions that keep me awake at night. I don't know about you. But I want you to finish this sentence. Finish this sentence. If we are made in God's image, what about... And go ahead. Tell the person next to you what you just thought. If you're online, type it in the chat. If we are made in God's image, what about... What about people who are short and people who are tall? What about people who are thin and people who are thick? What about people who have hair and people who don't? Why all those differences? We're in a series called Genesis, How the World Began. And last week, our search, in our search for identity, we discovered that our identity is that as being image bearers of God. We reflect him, and as we're reflecting him, that carries some responsibilities. And we landed on this point here with the challenge to embrace your identity, to be an influencer, and make an impact. If you missed last week or the first week of the series, go back and listen to that on our YouTube channel or in the app. The app's actually the best way to get content and to share it with your friends and things. So Avail yourself to that, like those things, and keep on going with them. But as we pick up the conversation today, we're going to be opening up a controversial conversation. Anybody in the house like controversy? Okay, okay. There's a couple of us. The rest of you, put up with it, please. And as we open up some controversy, I want to give a little disclaimer as we start. Everyone is loved here. Everyone is valued here. Everyone is welcome here. We value joining people on their faith journey wherever they're at. Today, we want to provide some clarity around some truths but we also want to do that with charity. And to begin that, because I'm going to create some controversy, I'm going to pray. All right, that might be controversial for some of you, but I'm going to pray and ask God to work through what we do here today together. Father, thank you so much for this opportunity. And Lord, I want to pray right now that you would guide my thoughts, your Holy Spirit would direct my words. And Lord, I pray for the hearers today, both online and in the room, Lord, that they would be receiving your words as truth spoken with love and grace. Lord, I pray that we will be able to embody all of that over the next few minutes. And we pray, Lord, for your divine working in our hearts and lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So jumping right in, Genesis chapter 1, we've been going through the creation account, and this is a familiar verse. We've already touched on it briefly. It says, so God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. We see here that God created male and female. There's something here that jumps off the page that to ignore it, I feel like 
I would be doing a disservice, that I would not be being true to the Word of God. So I want you to understand this morning that God's divine design at creation was male and female. God created men and women. He created one man, one woman at creation. That was his original design. In our world today, one of the most controversial issues that we are confronted with pretty much on a daily basis is confusion over gender identity. And before you shut down, please hear me out. Listen to this whole sermon. I beg of you because it's important and you may be surprised. This issue has many, many facets and we use Terms like binary or non-binary, same-sex attracted, transgender, and the list could go on and on and on. And we could spend some time talking about the difference between biology and gender because there are differences in that. But it is impossible for us to give an exhaustive exposition on any of these topics, even if we took weeks and weeks and weeks and months, and we would still, no matter how exhaustive we got and detailed we got in the conversation, we would still fall short of answering all the questions. So we're not going to try to do that today. What I want to do, rather than unpack all the possibilities, is I want to answer this question. Where did the confusion come from? Where did the confusion come? Why is there confusion over gender identity? If we look at this simple account of creation, it is undeniable that God's divine design, what God created, was male and female. That is the essential starting place for us to understand this confusion. In Genesis chapter 3, which Pastor Deanna will talk about next week, something happened. Something happened that changed everything. The original man, the original woman disobeyed God. And when they disobeyed God, they ushered sin into the world. And when they ushered sin into the world, this is what happened. God's divine design got distorted. God's divine design got distorted. Everything changed. The perfect world that God created now would be marred forever. Sin brought chaos and confusion to everything, not just gender identity. It brought chaos and confusion to the whole world. From that moment when they sinned, every person that was born and will be born was born flawed and imperfect. Every person is born with a propensity towards sin, a desire to go a different direction than what God's perfect design was for us. Now, today as we consider the confusion around gender identity, we need to go back to the fall to understand a framework that we can put this in so that we can understand. Experientially, we see people on a wide spectrum of masculinity and femininity. That's undeniable when we look at people. Now, even defining those words, masculine and feminine, is quite controversial, trying to decide what is masculine, what is feminine. But there is a wide diversity, a spectrum, if you will, of people. Everyone is born somewhere on that spectrum. 
And I would suggest to you that it is quite possible, quite likely, that people are even born with gender confusion. There are some people who are born confused about their gender. Some people are born same-sex attracted, those things. I would suggest to you that that is a definite possibility, potentiality. The reason I bring that up is because in this discussion, many times people will become militant and harsh in this discussion. And when we become militant and harsh, first of all, it's not helpful at all by any stretch of the imagination. It does no good for anyone. More importantly, while I get the heart behind it, wanting people to go back to the garden before our, our, that, divine, divine was, or that divine design was distorted, I get the heart behind that, wanting to go back. But friends, being harsh about this subject ignores the fact that God's divine design was distorted. It does not take that into account. It does not be generous with that towards people who may be confused. When we go on the attack against people who are feeling these things, we are expecting people to live in a pre-fall state. And friends, we all live in a post-fall state. We all live with a distortion of God's original design. And may I suggest to you that even being harsh, or dare I say hateful sometimes, about subjects like this or about any subject is part of the distortion as well when we become harsh in those things. Now, while sin is a result of the distortion, it does not give us license to embrace our propensity towards sin. We need to understand that. So while I'm saying we shouldn't be harsh towards people all of us, because we have a propensity towards one thing or another, that does not give us license to embrace those propensities as well. As we wrestle with the rightness and wrongness of anything, but we're talking about gender identity today, if we, as we wrestle with that, we need to start with an understanding, a clear understanding, that desire is not sin. The right or wrong of it is not related to the Desire. When we have a desire for something, whether that action is right or wrong, the desire is not sin. It's when we take action towards that desire that it becomes right or wrong. If a person has a propensity towards being angry, a desire to be angry, is that sin? No. Is it sin? Is it wrong? When they start yelling at people and throwing things and beating on people? Yes. When we express that desire in an unhealthy way. If we have a propensity towards gossip, towards running people down, whether it be verbally or online or any other way, a propensity to be harsh and hateful. If we desire to do that, is that sin? No. It becomes wrong when we act on it. If we have a propensity towards gluttony, and yes, I'm making a list here, is that sin because we want to eat and eat and eat? No, it becomes wrong when we continually act on that. If a heterosexual person has a desire 
to be sexually active before they're married. Is that sin, to have that desire? No, it's a healthy desire. Actually, it's when we act on that desire outside of marriage that it becomes wrong. I told you I was going to be controversial today. And I could go on. I could keep giving you a list. But you get the picture. The desire for sin, the propensity towards sin, is not wrong in itself. It is the activity that follows. So as image bearers, we need to understand that we carry with us a distorted image. Each and every one of us, whatever the issue might be that you would struggle with. That, my friends, is why we needed Jesus to start with. Because we have a distorted image. So as we understand the topics that we've been talking about, we need to understand that we're starting with a distorted image and we need to behave accordingly. We need to not expect other people to live in an undistorted way, but we need to understand our distortion and resist the urges that we have. Enough of that one. You want some more controversy? It's on its way. When we look at Genesis 2, we see more detail of creation, especially as it relates to how humans were created. It says, the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. So God started with a man when he created. And then the next section talks about placing him in a beautiful garden, a paradise. And then we see God say something very unexpected that he hasn't said yet in the creation account. He says this, it is not good for the man to be alone. Everything else, it is good, it is good, it is good. This is the first thing that God ever said. It's not good. It's not good for the man to be alone. What was not good about it? I don't know about you, but sometimes I like a little bit of solitude and isolation. Think about Adam. He's there in the garden. It's beautiful. He gets to play with the animals, and he gets to hang out with God. What more could Adam have wanted? I would suggest to you, based on what we're about to see, he needed a companion. He needed a helper, someone to share life with. So God had a solution, and here it was. It says, I will make a helper who is just right for him. So the Lord God formed from the ground all the, animal, the wild animals and, from the birds of the, and all the birds of the sky. Then he brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And the man chose a name for each one. But still, there was no helper just right for him. There was no helper just right for him. You know, I always chuckle a little bit when I read about Adam naming the animals. What a massive job. I should have looked it up how many animals there are, there are in the world. But I can imagine when he was given that task, and he, he had to be a really smart guy because the, the names actually make sense. But he would have started big. He would have started with uh, things like aardvark or platypus. He'd see an elephant, an elephant, or a giraffe. How in the world did he figure out giraffe? But I reckon it was such a big job, he got tired. And near the end, he started giving them shorter names. Like cat, dog, cow, 
He could have called it brisket, right? Yeah. Pig, ant. So he's naming all the animals, and then something was made clear. As he's naming all the animals, there was not an animal or anything that was compatible with him. He saw the animals, male and female, and he saw how they got on together, and he's like, huh. I noticed that, actually, Adam didn't say, huh. It was God that said, this isn't good, okay? So God had the solution. He proposed the solution. I'm going to make a helper who is just right for him. God decided to make a helper suitable. That word, the helper word, literally means a corresponding helper. Suitable helper means corresponding to the man. Just opposite the man, but like the man. So what we understand here, when it comes to males and females, God designed men and women to be different. He designed men and women to be different. Friends, don't get confused about this. God designed us to be different. You know, God was going to provide a helper for Adam. If you think about it, God was already a helper, but he was a superior helper. The animals would have been a help to Adam, but they were inferior. I would suggest to you that God provided a helper that was equal to Adam, that was similar to Adam and equal. It says in verse 21, so the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While the man slept, the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made woman from the rib and he brought her to the man. At last, the man exclaimed, this one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from man. So God creates a woman. That's the first surgery. He opened up Adam's side, took out a rib, created a woman out of it, and he brought it to the man. Think the father giving away the bride kind of thing. And he brought her to, to the man who's been naming animals, right? And he got tired with the cat and the dog and all that. And then he was like, whoa, man. I like this. This is good, right? That's how a woman got her name, woman, Maybe because she came out of man. He was thrilled that she was different, that she was bringing something else to the table. They were different. So they complemented one another in their differences. They did not compete with each other. That was before Genesis chapter three. Can you imagine if God started with two blokes in the garden? Would they have complemented or would they have competed? Or even two girls in the garden, right? They would have competed with each other. These guys are man and woman complimented. What we need to understand is in God's design, different is not demeaning. That's not what God was creating. He was not creating a situation where woman would be demeaned because man was superior or anything like that. This, again, is a highly controversial issue. I figure we haven't had enough yet today, so here we go. Men and women's roles in society, in the home, in the church, have been subject for debate for hundreds of years. Arguments rage in our society over whether men have authority over women. We hear constantly about the wage gap, the, the pay gap, gender pay gap thing. Anybody? No, hey, don't, don't raise your hands. Don't start talking about it, please. 
In our multicultural context, this is a massive thing. Men and women's roles are not defined the same way everywhere you go in the world. So this is a subject that we really, really need to have a good understanding of. And while we're not going to sort out society on this issue, we can be better informed as to what God's design is for us and what it was for us and how that translates to us today. So first of all, that word helper is not demeaning. That word helper is the same word used in scripture to describe God, where he says he will be an ever-present help in time of trouble, help. Is that demeaning? No. And there's several other passages, but we could go on and on about that. It's not a demeaning word. A commentator, theologian Matthew Henry gives us some instructive insight based on how woman was created. It says, she was not made out of his head to rule over him, nor out of his feet to be trampled upon by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected, and near his heart to be beloved. I don't think I can improve much on that. I love how he phrased that and framed that. I love that picture of equal and protected and beloved. Nevertheless, the debate goes on, and it even goes on in churches. There's an, uh, the guy that wrote over half of the New Testament. His name was Paul, and he's gotten in a lot of trouble for some things that he's written that, that sound like he was talking about women, and, and some people would say he was demeaning of women. I think Paul was grossly misunderstood. He gives a summary statement in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 that, that I really love, and it kind of, I think, sums up the, the subject. It says, but among the Lord's people, women are not independent of men, and men are not independent of women. For although the first woman came from man, every other man was born from a woman, and everything comes from God. Yes, the first woman came out of a man. Every other man came out of a woman, right? And it all comes from God. God. The debate over men and women and their roles, uh, largely, especially in a church context, but even in society, uh, is often framed around two words. Two words that I actually don't think are extremely helpful sometimes. Complementarian or egalitarian. Those two words. Complementarian is the view that men and women are different and women are limited in their roles. Egalitarian is women and men are the same, and there is no difference in the roles they are able to perform. Again, I don't find those words that helpful because it ignores the difference or it overstates the difference. It's too simplistic, and I think uh, that, that often people uh, using these words, they, they make them fit into a simple definition of a complex issue. And I see the thoughts expressed by this debate landing on a wide spectrum. You notice here, I've got complementary and egalitarian, but I've got some other spaces here. Because at the extreme ends, you have extreme patriarchy or extreme feminism. Extreme patriarchy is going to take the position that man is the leader and the women have to submit. That's extreme patriarchy. Extreme feminism, on the other hand, is going to take the concept that gender is a social construct, that maybe we're not even binary and uh, there's gender confusion, going back to that whole discussion. 
So when you hear the words complementarian, egalitarian, realize that it doesn't necessarily mean a lot depending on who's saying it because they could be anywhere along that spectrum. And if they're on the extremes using those words, they're extremely unhelpful. So why is there confusion about women's roles? And I'll I'll speak to the church because that's the, the context we're in. And my own journey. When I went to Bible college in early days of ministry, I was in a, a, a group that uh, was extremely complementarian. I didn't say they were extreme patriarchy, although they probably were. And that was the understanding. And we would go to passages of Scripture like in 1 Timothy chapter 2 where it says women aren't to teach or to have authority over men. And then I started studying a little bit, and I studied Greek. And they were saying they couldn't teach men, they couldn't have authority over men, all one thing. The Greek doesn't say that. The Greek says they couldn't teach, full stop. And they can't have usur- or usurp authority over men, full stop. So I got confused because if the Greek says they shouldn't teach, why are they out there teaching my five-year-olds? Hmm. And there's even a bigger exclamation point on that because in Titus, if you look at the reason women weren't supposed to teach back then, it's because the woman was deceived, not the man. So it's like, oh no, we have women deceiving our five-year-olds. Okay, this is, this is a tension. Okay, if you're gonna be true to scripture, you have to really unpack that and understand it. What the, in later years, what that's revealed to me is there was a huge lack of understanding. And then we would also send out female missionaries to foreign lands where they could minister to people who didn't look like us. And we had no problem with that. May I say that was just racism, and it was wrong, and it shouldn't be done in the church. So why am I telling you all of that? Well, I still need to reconcile what Scripture said, but through lots of study, I've changed my view over the years. I think that's pretty obvious. But 1 Corinthians chapter 11 is another verse that, that as we unpack it, it, it creates controversy, but I think we can sort it out. 1 Corinthians 11 says, The head of every man is Christ. The head of woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. All right, there it is in Scripture. The head of man is Christ, and man is the head of woman, right? Is that what it says? It's not a trick question. Come on, come on, work with me here, please. We're going to land in a good spot, I I promise, I promise. If we look at that and we take the word head, it can be seen as authority, When we think authority or leadership, we come out with this understanding. We come out with a hierarchical view of that scripture where God is first, then Christ, then man, then woman, hierarchy. I would suggest to you, submit to you, though, that head can mean something else. It can mean source, like the head of a river where it starts. And here we can come up with a chronological view of this verse that says this. It says that Christ... Go ahead, yep. Christ came from man. Creation of man was first because Christ was at creation when man was created. Secondly, man came from woman. So she was created second. And then thirdly, God created Christ. The birth of Christ came later. Okay, are you seeing this? You really need to get your head around this because when the Apostle Paul wrote this, He was speaking chronologically, not hierarchically, because if he was speaking in a hierarchical way, he would have said, first was God, 
then was Christ, then came the man, then came the woman. But the way Paul structured that verse, he says, Christ created the man, man is over woman, and God is over Christ. And I'm using the word over, and it shouldn't have been there. The head of, the source of, is what the Apostle Paul was talking about. Now, clearly in our church, and and this is not an exhaustive discussion about female roles and things like that or men's roles, but in our church, clearly we have a view that empowers women, and we have women as pastors and preachers and council members. But the question often is put to me, why would you have women preach in church? Because women are not to preach to men. They're not to, they are to be silent. Well, Paul says that in a certain context, and we don't have time to unpack all of that today. But look at what he says in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 4. A man dishonors his head if he covers his head while praying or prophesying. But a woman dishonors her head if she prays or prophesies without a covering on her head, for this is the same as shaving her head. This has a clear cultural interpretation that we don't have time to dig into, but Paul is talking about uh, to people who uh, would have been struggling with promiscuity and promiscuous women would have had their heads uncovered. And he did not want that to be an obstacle to the gospel. So we can't dive too deep into that, but that's the context Paul's writing into here. One thing that is very clear is that Paul was talking about women praying and prophesying in the church. How are they silent if they are praying and prophesying in the church? What that tells me is we don't fully grasp everything Paul was talking about at a surface level. We have to dig deep to really understand that. Now, does that mean that next week when Pastor Deanna speaks up here, she has to have her head covered because it says that, you know, No, because it says later on in verse 15 that he gave her her hair for recovery. Is that enough controversy for one day, friends? You are okay still? I want to tell you one more thing before we're done. Hopefully it's not controversial. In verse 24, it says, This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Now the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. Again, Go back to pre-distortion. You imagine that naked and not ashamed? I've looked in the mirror, right? (laughs) That's not where we live today. But God is saying before Adam had a mother and father to leave, he's setting a pattern here for marriage that the man leaves his mother and father and cleaves to his wife. When we talk about that, when I do a wedding, I often like to talk to the couple about creating a different culture. You come from this culture, they come from that culture, and you're gonna combine those and you're gonna mix them all up and you're gonna create a new culture that is yours and for your family. The word leaves, when it says that he leaves his mother and father, means he walks away, leaves it behind, literally abandons the other relationships, signifies an independence and a commitment to the new family unit. And when it says joins, The old King James says cleaves, you leave and you cleave. That word leaves or or cleaves or joins literally means to be stuck, to be stuck together. It's like when uh, uh, Elijah, his tongue was clinging to the roof of his mouth. It's the same word. It was stuck there. So when you join, it's clinging. It represents loyalty and the bond and commitment between spouses. And then it says they were united as one. They became one flesh. They became inseparable. That speaks to the intimacy and the unity of marriage. 
We could do a whole series around marriage. Maybe we'll hit that next year. But so what? So what? I've just given you a lot of uh, download today. I understand that. And we could talk for hours about any of those topics. But here's what I want you to understand. When God created humans, he had a perfect divine design. We live in a world where that divine design has been distorted. And that distortion, sadly, sometimes amplifies our differences. And our differences far too often can cause us to be demeaning of other people, whether it be women or whether it be people who have a different understanding of their identity and their gender and things like that. Our differences should not cause us to be demeaning because we're all distorted. We're all messed up, friends. I asked you to complete this sentence earlier. If we are made in the image of God, what about, what about me? If, I'm made in, if everybody's in the image of God, what about me? Friends, you, 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 me, you, you, you. We all need to start with the understanding that we are broken because of sin. We are distorted. We all have sinful desires. Those aren't an excuse to give in to those because we're distorted. We need to resist those. But then we come to the next question, though. If we're all made in God's image, not just what about me, but what about others? Can I suggest to you when you ask that question, you need to go back and say, what about me? Let others deal with God. Let others deal with their own identities and things like that. Let them and God work that out. That's not your job. It's not my job. Our job is to recognize that, like me, every one of you are distorted as well. We are all broken by sin. And we need to treat each other with love and respect. We need to show grace and not treat people as superior or inferior. Today, I've covered... We have covered a lot of challenging ground. And as we wrap it up, I want to sum up by saying this. When we deal with difficult conversations, when we deal with difficulties and differences amongst ourselves, we need to lean hard into love and grace. I hope that today you've heard some truth and some clarity around some issues that are really difficult. But I also trust that you've heard it in charity. You have clarity in charity. You have heard truth and love. If you're here today, if anything I've said has touched you and caused you to wonder, I want to clarify before you leave today. In this place, you Online, you are loved. You are valued. And you are welcome. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for helping us over the last half an hour, 40 minutes to unpack some difficult stuff. And Lord, we ask for your guidance and direction as we Apply those things to our lives as we seek to understand what that means as we, as we live it out. 
Lord, thank you that you made a solution for our distortion, and that solution was Jesus. Doesn't change the fact that we wear your image poorly sometimes, but Lord, thank you for Jesus and the forgiveness that we have in him for how we behave sometimes. And Lord, I pray that you would help us look beyond our differences. You would help us not be demeaning about our differences, but that, Lord, we would bring grace and love to a world that is hurting, that is broken because of that fall, because of that moment in the garden. Help us to love one another no matter how different we might be. In Jesus' name, amen.